Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. Ghostbusters. They're real. You do? You have? They're here. Ghostbusters. Hey, anybody see a ghost? They catch the ghost that won't stay dead. They're armed. They're dangerous. Try to imagine all life as you know it stopping instantaneously and every molecule in your body exploding at the speed of light. All right, that's bad. Okay. All right, important safety tip. Thanks, Egon. They're professionals. Oh, I'm the chairman of the largest paranormal removal company in America. You see it? They're all that stands between you and the end of the world. The city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. Real wrath of God type stuff. Fire and brimstone coming down from the sky. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. Your girlfriend lives in the corner penthouse of Spook Central. You want this body? Is this a trick question? Stick. Busters, starring Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Sigourney Weaver, Harold Ramis, Rick Moranis. Coming to save the world. Ghostbusters. We came, we saw, we kicked it. All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I'm your host, Jimbo, and alongside me for the third consecutive week in a row. I oh can't believe it. gosh. Who is this guy? It's not a ghost. It's co-host Terrence Davis. <laughs> co-host Terrence Davis is back <laughs> in the building. Uh, this was uh, going to be episode 49, Ghostbusters. But before we get started, a few uh, little details we'd like to throw out there. 
Uh, Terrence and I had the privilege of being on the third annual Hillbilly Horror Stories Halloween special. Yes. Uh, Jerry and Tracy Polly dropped that on Tuesday. So if you want to go give them a listen, uh, it's a great thing with a bunch of podcasters out there. So you might want to check that out and tell them, hey, Tragedy of Cinema sent you. So they know that, hey, we're reaching some people too. Plus, it's a fun uh, Halloween sort of special that they do. So it's all it all has to do with like spooky stuff, Halloween. So it's, it's really fun to listen yeah, to. Really fun. Um, and not only that, but also uh, Terrence and I, um, after we get done recording this episode, are f- putting the finishing touches on our uh, Halloween episode ourselves that we will be releasing special Saturday night. Uh, we are continuing what we did on the Hillbilly Horror Stories. We are doing the original Night of the Living Dead. So if you listen to the Hillbilly Horror Stories thing we did, which is about 10 minutes long, we're going to expand on that from there. Um, also, uh, the Twilight Zone competition will be ending this Saturday about 8 o'clock, which is Halloween. So if you haven't listened to the Twilight Zone and found those uh, keywords in like the last four episodes, uh, go ahead and do that and then email email the answers to me at thetragediacinema.gmail.com for your chance at a coffee mug, an official Tragedy of Cinema merchandise coffee mug that I will ship out to you. And Terrence... I wouldn't let you get away this week without a question. I'm starting All to run right. out of questions, but, <laughs> but Terrence, who do you th- who is your favorite ghost in a uh, movie? Favorite ghost, ghost in a movie? I got it. No, oh, no, the ghost in Lord of the Rings when uh, uh, just that that whole army, the army of, of the ghosts. army of yes, the dead, the army of the dead. That's a that's a good one. Um, just because of how intense that is, because you know the the, the stakes are high. Uh, uh, there looks like they're losing, and then suddenly all the ghosts come in. So epic, right? That and, um, for me, I think I'm going to go a little bit further back into my childhood. Probably Casper the Friendly Ghost. Um, okay, yeah, just yeah. because you know Casper the Friendly Ghost, friendliest ghost, you know, you know. Uh, I just think he had a lot of uh, cartoons and stuff that you know they don't make them like that anymore. So, Terrence, episode 49, Ghostbusters. Let's take it away. Ghostbusters release date June 8th, 1984. It was a great year for movies, as we will soon learn. Yes, especially while this was at the theater, there was so many other movies that just, just looking at the top five, you'll see some. Yeah, so uh, we we got a budget of uh, 30 million. Uh, which is about $75 million if you account for inflation. So that's $75 million today. Uh, the box office, it ended at $296.4 million. If you adjust that for inflation, that's $742.5 million. Just to give you an idea of how much money this movie made, <laughs> it was the highest grossing comedy until Home Alone, which came out in 1990. Uh, also the year that Terrence was born. Six years later. <laughs> uh, so um, I got some box office numbers. Uh, the weekend this came out, this was the top box office numbers. that We're talking June 8th, 1984, the weekend of that da- uh, that date. Here's the box office numbers. You ready for this? We got number one, Ghostbusters. Obviously, we've seen the numbers. Uh, but then we got number two, Gremlins. Number three, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Number four, Star Trek Three and the Search for Spock. And number five, Beat Street. That is a classic lineup right there. Yes. It doesn't get much better than that. And then we have the 1984 lineup for the year box office numbers. Still at number one, we got Ghostbusters, but we got a little switch up for number one and number two. Number two came Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Great movie. Then we got number three, Gremlins. 
Number four, The Karate Kid. And then finally at number five, we got Police Academy. <laughs> and these are just the top five. I mean, there were so many other movies. Man, there were so many movies on that list you were going to. I was like, man, if we could go back to 1984, that was just the time to be. I mean, there were so many it, movies. Yeah, you can go to the theater probably on I think 16 Candles was on there. Yeah, I mean, just a lot of stuff. Was on there. There was, a, uh, there was a, The Terminator. Uh, there were so many movies on there. Um, so moving on, we got uh, writer uh, Dan Aykroyd and Haler, uh, Harold Ramis. Um, so uh, what's interesting is both of these writers also were two of the main characters in the movie. Uh, uh, Ray Stance and uh, Egon, uh, uh, what was it? St- Spingler. Spingler. Um, so uh, other things that they've written are, uh, so for Dan Aykroyd, we, he re- helped write Blues Brothers, both one and two, and obviously the subsequent sequels of Ghostbusters and even the newest Ghostbusters. Um, Held Ramis, um, all the other Ghostbusters also. Uh, he also helped write Groundhog's Day, uh, Stripes, and Knocked Up, and a myriad of other... Um, uh, 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 uh. Oh, man, why am I... Blinking on the Bill Murray movies. I don't know why I could not think of his name for a moment. <laughs> but he was uh, Harold Ramis and Bill Murray almost go together because he was and he's written so many of the movies he's in, or at least you know helped write. Uh, this was directed by Ivan Rittman, who also has a pretty uh, cool lineup of like what he's done. Um, he's also done Kindergarten Cop, Twins, Evolution, and don't forget also an uncredited writer to this was Rick Moranis, also wrote yes. some stuff for this too. Which, oh man, <laughs> we'll talk about <laughs> it. Oh, All right, um, then we have uh, music by Elmer Bernstein, and this guy has quite the lineup too. Uh, he's also done a musical score in, or helped, you know, uh, music in a movie that we have covered, The Magnificent Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, he's done music for To Kill a Mockingbird, and more recently, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood by Quentin Tarantino. Um, then we have uh, uh, just wanted to, just because he wrote the main song is so catchy. We got uh, Ray Parker Jr., uh, who also wrote we, you know he wrote the main song of Ghostbusters. So catchy, everybody to this day still sings it. Um, but he also did music in Stranger Things, uh, Big Bang Theory, the movie Ex Machina, and Zombieland. Uh, then we go on to cinematographer Laszlo Kovacs. Um, this, uh, he's done cinema photography for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Multiplicity, Radio Flyer, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, so just the the production team that they had on this, they got some big names here mm-hmm. um, who've done some great movies. Uh, this was edited by David E. Uh, Bellwitt and Sheldon Kahn. Uh, production companies, Columbia Delphi Productions and Black Rhino. Uh, Columbia Productions got bought out by Sony Corp. Um, I remember in the past, you know, we would, we, I would always mention the, uh, you know, distribution production companies and I'm thinking to myself, who's bought out all these companies that I, you know, you really don't see anymore. Of course. Um, <laughs> Number one, you're thinking Disney, <laughs> Disney <Yeah>. right? <laughs> I think we're going to see Sony and Disney a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, you know, bigger companies that first, uh, bought them out and then got bought out by right. Sony or Disney. Um, and then also, uh, Black Rhino who only, Helped uh, the end of production of this movie and some other movie called Doctor Detroit. Okay, uh, distributed by Columbia Pictures. Now mm-hmm. on to my favorite part. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, yes. Uh, my notes are <laughs> <in> <laughs> scramble. I almost forgot. Uh, we have a runtime minute 45 minutes. Uh, we got a sound mix. A minute 45 minutes? Uh, is that what you One hour said? and 45 minutes. Wow. It, oh, wow. That's... I know. I'm everywhere. Uh, hour 45 minutes. Uh, minute 45 if you're in a rush, I guess. <laughs> Watch that 60 speed or something? Yeah. Uh, we got a sound mix of a 70 millimeter six track. Uh, we have Dolby Stereo, 35 millimeter Prince, Dolby Atoms, Blue for the Blu-ray release. Uh, this obviously is a, in color, uh, Metro color, as a matter of fact. Um, aspect ratio of 2.20 by 1, 70, 70 millimeter Prince, uh, 2.39 by 1, and 2.40 by 1. So this has been re-released a couple times, um, uh, and more recently being a Blu-ray release. Uh this was filmed using camera Panavision camera and lenses. Uh, laboratory. Uh, this was edited in Metro Color, Clover City, USA. Film length. This was about six reels. Uh, we're looking at uh, 2,881 meters, Sweden. Uh, negative format, 35 millimeter Eastman. Cinematograph. Uh, the cinematographic process. Man, I'm just. You are all I, over today. I know, right? Usually I'm on I, it. Three weeks uh, in a row, man. I, you know, it's, <laughs> you're starting to come back to full form. Cinematographic <laughs> um, process, Panavision anamorphic, uh, printed film format, 35 millimeter. And finally, uh, this was blown up to 70 millimeters, and that would be Eastman 5384. So that's it with the technical specs. And now, finally, <laughs> are you sure? my favorite part, officially, to the awards. Uh, so we have, once I get to those notes... <laughs> I was prepared and not prepared at the same time. I have a lot written down, which I usually don't. <laughs> right, don't forget, there's some at the there's uh, some at the yes, bottom of this page yes, too, yes. right here. It starts here. Oh, but there we go. You just got them out of order again. I think this goes two, oh, one, two, yeah, three. I go. think. There we go. Good grief, <laughs> kids these eight millennials. <laughs> Ghost man. All right. Uh, <laughs> Academy Awards USA 1985. Uh, they were nominated for Best Visual Effects and Best Music Original Song uh, for Ghostbusters. Uh, Golden Globes USA 1985. They were nominated for Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, uh, and Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, uh, Bill Murray. And then finally, Best Original Song, Ghostbusters. So no, nothing won yet. But we finally get to the BAFTA Awards in 1985. Which stands for? I do not remember. The British Film Television Awards. Movie and Television Awards or whatever. Uh, we got the winner. They did So they did win uh, one here, and that would be for Best Original Song, uh, Ghostbusters. Uh, nominated for Best Visual Effects, uh, Richard Edlund, which actually, I did pull some stuff up uh, just because this was a very visual effects heavy movie, so I was like, oh, I wonder what else he's helped in. Turns out, uh, he helped out the Star Wars films. Um, uh, he worked on the first Star Wars. After that, uh, he worked on the you know Battlestar Galactica, and we're talking about Battlestar Galactica, the original TV series, for those who are younger. Um then he was invited by George Lucas to come back to Empire Strikes Back. Uh, and then from then on, he, uh, he continued to uh, do visual effects for Raiders of the Lost Ark, Poltergeist, uh, Ghostbusters, and a bunch of other big hit movies. Um, guy's big name in the special effects um, uh, area. So 
And now we are off to the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films, USA 1985. Uh, we have the winner of the Saturn Award, Best Fantasy Film. Uh, then we go move on to the Golden Screen, the Golden Screen in Germany, 1985. They won the Golden Screen. No particular uh, category; it's just an overall award. Then we have the Grammy Awards, 1985. They were nominated for Best Album of Original Score, written by a motion picture for a television special. Uh, then we have Hugo Awards, 1985, nominated Best Dramatic Presentation. Uh, Film National Preservation Board, uh, they hit that in USA 2015, uh, where they won and were put on the National Film Re- Preservation Board. Uh, Online Film and Television Association, 2016, winner uh, for Motion Picture. Young Artist Award, uh, which is our last award here, and this was, again, 1985. Uh, they won the Young Artist Award for Best Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy. And then finally, we have the synopsis. Three scientists at Columbia University go into business by becoming ghost-catching sleuths known as the Ghostbusters. Who you gonna call? <laughs> Obviously not Terrence, because he wouldn't be able to <laughs> get it right. <laughs> so um, we'll go ahead and talk about a little bit about the cast. And Terrence, once again, we pulled up the uh, people who uh, either re- tried out for it or got the part, declined it. And we'll, yeah. let, we'll ask you if you think that you could have seen them in this role. So, obviously, we'll start out with uh, Bill Murray. He played Peter Vakeman. So, here we go. Are you ready? Let's do it. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton? I think I can see. Yeah, I can see Michael Okay, yeah, Keaton. but he turned it down. Yeah. Uh, actually, this was actually written for when Dan Aykroyd was doing the sh- uh, script. It yeah. was actually written for John Belushi, but he died while he was writing the script. Oh, no. So, John Belushi, could you see? Uh, yeah, I can see John. Okay. Chevy Chase. Chevy Chase. Not, I don't know. It seems a little different from his usual role. Well, he actually turned it down because he's like, the original script was too scary and dark. He's like, the, <laughs> the, the, the script that you got, the movie yeah. you got, says so totally different than what it was actually presented oh, okay. to him. So, uh, Steve Gutenberg. Hmm. Uh, remind me who Steve Gutenberg He's is. Police Academy. Oh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I can see Steve Gutenberg. Yeah, well, he, he had to turn it down because he was committed to Police Academy. Yeah. Tom Hanks. I can, yeah. Obviously, I think he's good at anything. <laughs> and Robin Williams. Yeah. Yeah. I would, oh, man. I kind of wish it was Robin yeah. Williams. Uh, Dan Aykroyd as Ray Stance, which nobody even tried out. I guess he wasn't giving it up <laughs> to tease the writer. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Sigourney Weaver played Dana Barrett. And somebody that tried out was Julia Roberts. Oh, huh. Maybe. Okay. She, yeah. she Maybe. Uh, Harold Ramis as Egon Spingler. Michael Keaton again, but he turned it down. Christopher Walken. Christopher. Uh, yeah, I, I could. Well, yeah, I can see Christopher John Walken. Lithgow. Because I have to imagine a younger Christopher Walken. Not, right. you know, now Christopher Walken. Um, Needs more cowbell. <laughs> <laughs> John Lithgow. Uh, John, uh, remind me what he's in. Terrence, are I know. you a movie person or not? He was in Third Rock from the Sun. The oh, Dead. got it. All right, all right. Um, Harry and the Hendersons, I think. Oh, man. I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, Christopher Lloyd. I can see. Okay. Do you know who that is? I, I know. Okay, okay. And Jeff Goldblum. Jeff, yeah, I can see Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, too. 
Rick Moranis as Louis Tully. Boy, he played a fantastic role. Oh, man, uh, but two role. people. One was John Candy. John, yeah, I can see. But John, John Candy. Candy turned it down because he wanted to cha- make some changes. He wanted him to have like two dogs and all this, and they didn't think it went oh, with gotcha, the character yeah. or whatever because it was so much dog oriented already. Yeah, as we'll talk about. And the other one was, um, let's see, Jay Leno. What? <laughs> <laughs> oh, and man. somebody, uh, Eddie Deason. I don't even know who that is. I'm sorry, Eddie. If I, I need to look some more into you, see what you did. Uh, Annie Potts played Janine Melnitz. Uh, the only other person was Sandra Bernhard. Uh, tried out for. I'm not really sure who that is either. Um, William Atherton as Walter Peck. Now, and somebody else that uh, tried out for it was Michael Ensign, um, who uh, he he had tried out, but he ended up becoming the um, got the part of the manager of the Sedgwick uh, Hotel. Okay, yeah, yeah. And he, but he was also in Die Hard. The manager of the hotel was in Die Hard. So if you see him, you might realize what he's from. Ernie Hudson as Winston Zeddemore, Eddie Murphy. Yeah, I can I can see it. Yeah, uh, Eddie Murphy ended up turning it down because uh, he's the he declined the role. So actually, uh, Winston was supposed to come in earlier. He was joined the team much earlier. He was actually the one that got slimed in the hallway at yeah. the hotel. But once Eddie Murphy declined the role, they rewrote the script, and Winston came halfway through the the movie. Gotcha. So, so then they can, um, got it. Now. Reginald Vell Johnson. Do you know who that is? Nah. No, I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no. <laughs> he played uh, Carl Winslow on Family Matters. He was the dad on Family Matters. Oh, He's also, okay. uh, Terrence, I can't believe this. He's also Al Powell from Die Hard 1 and 2. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, let's see. He also plays, he also got the part as the, uh, the, the, the jail person here where he comes and lets him out of the jail. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. I just... Maybe. <laughs> uh, Slavatsia Joven, she played Gozer. K- uh, this is Larry King's uh, film debut. You'll see him in there. And Jean Kasem was the tall blonde woman at uh, the party uh, with uh, Louis Tully. Oh, yeah, and she's the wife of Casey Kasem, which Casey Kasem makes an appearance in here on the radio. Everybody, I don't know if you're There's old enough to remember. I don't know yeah. if you remember this. But uh, he used to do, like, Casey Kasem's top 40 of the hits of the, every week or whatever on the radio. So, yeah, you're no looking idea. at me with that blank stare. <laughs> so those of you that are of an older generation like me, you know, he's he also did the voice of uh, Shaggy in Scooby-Doo. Oh, well, there you go. Well, see, I had, to, I had to tone it down to you kiddos. So. Um, there's also a couple of uh, cameos. Uh, Debbie Gibson, she is actually an extra at the uh, Tavern on the Green. She is sitting at the table with the balloons with the pink ribbons in her hair. I'm sure Terrence doesn't know who that is either, so we'll just keep on going. <laughs> uh, the director, Ivan Reitman, uh, he actually did the ground where the, uh, Sigourney Weaver says, there is no Dana, only Zool now, so he actually put himself in there. So hmm. um, so now let's talk, we'll talk a little bit about the movie now. I've got my notes kind of organized today. I'm pretty proud of myself. Nice. Um, well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll be jumping around the movie, so if you haven't seen this movie, we'll still be jumping around because I... I basically broke it down by, you know, location, props, quotes, filming, cast, blah, blah, blah. So um, I'll go ahead and do a little bit more of the cast stuff. Um, Harold Ramis only intended to write the film. He decided to play Dr. Egon Spengler after he felt he was the best person suited for the role. So, I mean. He's perfect fit. Right. Um, on the set, Dan Aykroyd referred to Slimer Ghost as the ghost of John Belushi uh, <laughs> because Slimer's uh, eating was based on Belushi's cafeteria scene in National Lampoon's Animal House from 1978. That's so, hilarious. Yeah. 
Um, sad note, um, Harold Ramis did pass away, but fans of the movie pay tribute to him by visiting the New York City Firehouse using the exterior shots and created a makeshift memorial featuring Nestle's Crunch Bars, uh, which is in <laughs> reference to Vakeman giving Spangler a candy bar, and yep. Twinkies, which uh, Vake, uh, Spangler used in the Twinkie to, descri- the Twinkie to describe the ghost problem in New York. Um, sadly, he died in 2014 at the age of 70. Um, he battled with autoimmune disease uh, most of his life. Um, he had a problem. He had several uh, side effects of the medicine that he was taking, mm. which he had to learn how to walk again um, after uh, an autoimmune disease. Uh, or he uh, caught autoimmune disease of vasculitis in 2010 and a relapse following the next year. Uh, his final film appearance on screen was in 2009 uh, in the comedy Year One. So, That's pretty um, funny movie. Yeah, I wish he would have been around for the remake, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Sigourney Weaver recalled, I once had a fire in my apartment after the movie, and the fireman came to put it out. One of them opened up my refrigerator and said, Whoa, you better call the Ghostbusters. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, the, the stuff that these guys went through. Um Gozer, uh, right, Terrence, if you do not get who this is, then I'm going to be really upset with you. Gozer was originally going to be played by none other than Paul Rubens. Terrence, who is Paul Rubens? I'm putting you on the spot. you got to tell me what he's in. No, I if know, I tell I'm, you what he's in, it's going to tell you who he is. <laughs> he is none other than Pee Wee Herman. Oh, uh, see that—that's the thing. I, but he turned I'm out. Not, I'm not a like. I wasn't. I didn't grow up with Pee Wee. Okay, but he was like, in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Is one of the vampires too. There you go. So touché. okay. Um, I think he was in that movie Blow too. If you if we want to talk about it, um, <laughs> so but he he actually turned it down. Um, Gozer's final form was described as David Bowie meets Grace Jones. So we just talked oh, about well, David Bowie last <laughs> week. So <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, here's something else about Gozer. Um, Gozer. Gozer was also a name related to a documented haunting in England. The name Gozer appeared mysteriously throughout the house, written on walls and other things. So I thought that hmm. was pretty cool that they used something like that. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. You see how I'm scrolling through all this? Um, Harold Ramis made a choice to never smile as Egon. Hmm. Which, uh, it's hard to do, man. I mean, oh, yeah. plays, especially when Janine's all over him. You know what I mean? Bill Murray. Um, oh, man. Let's see here. Going through here real quick. Okay, we're back to the beginning of the notes. <laughs> so, um, most of this movie and uh, this uh, movie is ad-libbed. None of the scenes that were actually written were shot to the script. They were all ad libbed. <laughs> and um, out of all the characters, who do you think had the most ad libs? Bill Murray. Yeah, Bill Murray, obviously. <laughs> um, when Louis uh, Louis Tully mingles with his party guests, commenting on the price of the salmon and so on and so forth, yeah, it's all one continuous shot, and most of it <laughs> is entirely improvised by Rick Moranis. That's hilarious. Which that's going to be some quick thinking, man, because he's just bouncing around that entire thing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, you, you can get a feel that he's just, you know, really good at doing that, which I'm pretty sure he's done in vast other films. Dude's hilarious. Uh, when Vinkman mentions to Spengler about, remember that one time you tried to drill a hole in your head? And Spengler's response was, <laughs> that would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. It was actually ad-libbed by Harold Bemis, or Harold <laughs> Ramis, sorry. Um, so I think that was all the ad libs that I found. I'm sure there's a thousand more. Oh yeah, those are just like some of the more notable uh, ones, right? Uh, for the promo, uh, this is pretty cool. Uh, in the middle of the film's initial release, uh, to keep the interest going on and on and on, uh, Ivan Redman ran a trailer that was basically the commercials used by the Ghostbusters in this movie. 
but the 555 number was replaced with a 1-800 number, allowing people to call in. Callers got a recorded message of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd saying something to the effect of, Hi, we're out catching ghosts right now. They got a thousand calls per hour, 24 hours a day for six weeks. Wow. And I wonder if this is back in the time when you had to pay 99 cents or something like that, you know, for yeah, the 1-800 yeah. number calling, because they probably just made a lot of money doing this. Oh, yeah. Um, so we'll talk about some of the filming. Uh, the schedule for getting the movie into the theaters for its release uh, date in the summer 1984 was so tight that the final print included incomplete special effects shots and errors like visible wires, but people didn't care. So, I mean, um, if you watch it, you can tell. Uh, we'll talk about it here at the end. I, yeah. I know we've already talked about it a little bit. Uh, let's see here. Um, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to go through. I'm just going to go page by page now because it's getting out of control. I, <laughs> so uh, some of the uh, the Ecto One had the blue lights on it. Yeah. And but the problem is in New York City, blue lights would not have been allowed to be on this because they're reserved for um, voluntary uh, fire firefighters and their immediate families. That so, makes sense. Um, sorry, the Ecto One would not be able to be in New York City. But hey, it's the movies, right? Movie magic. <laughs> Hollywood. Um, the red contacts that Slavica Joan had to wear were very uncomfortable. Um, reminds, reminds me of uh, when we talked about in The Lost Boys where Kiefer Sutherland had him yep. in and tears were actually rolling down his face. That, that's still a thing today, too. It's I feel like it's a problem that uh, hasn't completely been solved yet. Um, it's just problems with contacts. I remember most notably would be um, uh, in Game of Thrones, uh, the actress who played uh, Arya Stark when you know she goes blind, her eyes are white. Uh, those were contacts that like just really, really bothered her to the point where she was in pain. But you know, you think with the the CGI they got going, that they would able be able to use CGI to do most of that without even having to put anything in her eyes. That's true. Um, but this comes to something I mentioned, I believe, um, when we were talking about. Uh, 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 labyrinth and that's just um you know uh sometimes it's just it's it, actually majority of the time it looks better if you actually do it versus you know choosing the cgi option it's probably cheaper too yeah so um the lively chorus shouting ghostbusters during the film's final theme song consists of ray parker's jr's girlfriends and or his girlfriend and her friends who are the only people parker could find quick enough to meet the deadline um, he said he got the idea from uh, for it when his son shouted Ghostbusters. So <laughs> I think that's pretty cool. That's great. Um, the demonic voice of Dana Zool was performed by the director. Uh, Patty Edwards provided the voice of Gozer. Hmm. Um, the terror dogs that come to life were actually statue designs of an old church in Philadelphia. Oh, okay. And you covered the highest. You, uh, yeah, yep. yeah, you said that. So. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, where she is floating in midair uh, when Bill Murray comes to see her, yeah. is actually a physical effect. The actress was put in a full body cast and attached to a post hidden in the curtains. Uh, the, effect, uh, the effect came from uh, the director's uh, Broadway experience. So he brought a little of the Broadway special effects, special effects to mm-hmm. the movies. Um, the firehouse uh, that is seen in is the Ghostbusters headquarters is actually two different firehouses in two different cities. Hmm. The exterior is in New York City, and the interior is in downtown Los Angeles. The Los Angeles Firehouse has been used in many, many movies. And we'll talk about one here in a little bit. Um, So, the hook and ladder number 8 firehouse uh, in the Tribeca section of New York City is where the exterior scenes of the Ghostbusters were. 
Uh, inside the firehouse are a Ghostbuster sign and photos taken with the cast and crew. Nice. So I think that's pretty cool. Uh, one of the quotes, there's a couple of quotes in here. Uh, one of the quotes, the movie, uh, the line, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, was voted as <laughs> number 68 of the 100 greatest movie lines by Premiere in 2007. Oh, wow. The Stay Puff Marshmallow Man, which is my personal favorite of this uh, movie. Oh, uh, the suits so cost approximately $20,000 each. Wow. Three were made, and all of them were destroyed during the filming of this movie. Uh, the jail scene uh, that they were all thrown in was filmed yeah. in a prison reported to be haunted, and the dailies had scratches all over all over them with no apparent physical cause. The director was concerned about returning there, and so was the crew, uh, but they were very relieved to find that they had enough footage to complete the scene without returning back to the jail. So, so that's actually interesting to have a paranormal event happen while shooting a movie about ghosts. <laughs> right. Well, my thing is, if you're the Ghostbusters, you should have been able to take care of it. And, and, well, we'll talk, they were we'll, afraid we'll, we'll talk about this at the end when we do our things. So. Uh, we already talked about this. Uh, the music video for the song Ghostbusters featured numerous celebrities who didn't appear in the film, including Chevy Chase, Irene Cara, John Candy, Melissa Gilbert, Ollie E. Brown, Jeffrey Tambor, George Went, Al Franken, Danny DeVito, Carly Simon, Peter Falk, and Terry Garr. So I thought that was very interesting. That, that, that music video had a lot of celebrities in oh, it. Oh, yeah. A lot of celebrities, even though they weren't in the movie. Um, the Dream Ghost. Um, a lot of these deleted scenes, there was a lot of deleted scenes. But yeah. um, like in the montage of stuff, you'll see like uh, this is the part where uh, Ray, where he's laying down, you know, and that ghost is floating above him. Oh, yeah, And yeah. It starts unbuckling his belt buckle and all that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Kimberly Heron played that uh, the ghost lady, and she had to have a mold made of her body for the form-fitting rig that allowed her to float above Dan Aykroyd. According to Heron, the prop tech putting molding plaster on her was reluctant to apply the plaster to her breast. She grabbed his plaster-filled hands and placed it on her breast and told him to get over it. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he's probably like, no, professional. No, yeah, here. Let's just let's get this over with. Uh, the Stay Plus Marshmallow Man was really supposed to come up out of the water right next to the Statue of Liberty, which would have been a really awesome scene. That would have, but yeah. uh, they said it was really too hard to shoot. So that would that makes sense too. Uh, n- none of the actors enjoyed wearing the proton packs on their back because some were heavier than others. Oh. Um, the director said that Harold Ramis was the one that complained the least, which he probably was the one that had the be- the most. The lightest? No, the, no. But what no. I'm saying is he's probably the one that had the, the the best case to argue that I'm not doing this because of his autoimmune disease, you know, and, right. and, yeah. and all that. So, um, but he, he, the director wouldn't say which actor complained the most. Who do you think complained the most? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. I'd say it's got to be Bill Murray. It's got to be. Think so? It's got to be Bill Murray. It's got to be. Is he known to be? I mean, I don't, I don't know, but I'm just saying just from, every, <laughs> you know, I just think it's him. I don't think Dan Aykroyd would do it because he's the one that. I guess that makes sense. Higher paid actors do are like, okay, yeah, this is not, this is uncomfortable. Let's change that. <laughs> right. Um, in the, the one of the opening scenes, you remember in the library, which I, I thought was really well done, but when the card drawers open and the cards start flying oh, out. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was really um, cool. They had prop workers hidden behind a stage setting uh, to make it look like part of the library. The drawers were pushed open from the bag, and the cards were blown out via the copper piping. Now, hmm. 
I did notice that none of the cards had any writing on them. So no, blank like, cards. Yeah. Right. So I thought that was interesting. But of course, it's blown them out from the back. But yeah. I, I don't think I've seen any writing on them at all. And kids, back in my day, when we used to have to go to the library, we had to go to the Rolodex and yep. you know find them and then go find them. We didn't have a little computer to type, tell us where to go. Uh, the mixture of both that and you know the uh, you'd have you know the card in the book where you'd write your name and you check oh, yeah. it out, which I, I you don't do anymore. Which no. I did. I don't even know when that stopped. It just did. Right, and, and like now, now you know, and it and it would tell you who checked it out before you and who checked yeah, it out after. You can always you know? see like the names and uh, you know that, the that dates pops up that. in a lot of movies when detectives are like, "All right, we got to look into this. Oh, we can see who checked this book out last." Right. Like, well, now it's probably <laughs> just a click of the button on exactly, the computer. Right? You know? um, the rooftop set for the final confrontation between Gozer and the Ghostbusters occupied an entire soundstage and required fifty thousand amps of electricity to be properly lit. Oh, wow. Man, I bet that's a that's a bill. Yeah, uh, Columbia Pictures had to shut down other stages while this scene was being filmed, probably because they didn't have enough power to light it. You know what I mean? They didn't want to uh, trip any breakers. Mid right. scene, and that yeah. meter is probably going. Nee, you know what I mean? <laughs> Uh, scenes in the montage of the Ghostbusters running and driving the Ectomobile around New York were done on the first day, largely without any film permits. Right. <laughs> in one scene, someone who looks like a security guard begins chasing him, and Dan Aykroyd is driving the Ectomobile away from him. So, uh, yeah, I wonder because so they, I wonder because um, if they didn't have any film permits and they had those blue lights going, that's I true. wonder if that's why they were chasing them because hey, you're not supposed to have these. You know what I mean? More than likely. Um, when the defeat goes, or Winston says, this job is definitely not worth eleven five a year. Adjusted for inflation, <laughs> this yearly salary for a Ghostbuster in late 2018 would be $27,437.60. Terrence, would you like to be a Ghostbuster for that price? No, thank you. <laughs> um, the fi- Oh, here he is. The, the, I told you that the firehouse that they used for the Ghostbuster uh, as their headquarters was used in another movie. It was used as the mechanic shop in The Mask. The Jim Carrey The Mask oh, nice. in 1994. Um, we all know and come to love Slimer. Um, especially from the cartoon uh, where he actually yeah, joins actually the team. Yeah, that's actually where he's most but, And he's more, you know, he looks more polished. This is just a big green bowl. You know, he's kind of <laughs> weird looking. Um, but um, he's never referred to in the script um, as whatever the green ghost in the hotel. They never know him. But they, he's known as Onion Head. Huh. By the crew because of his horrid smell. Um, since it was never heard in the movie, the writers of the real Ghostbusters in 1986, which I believe is the cartoon, came up with the name Slimer because they slimed Peter Wingman. Yeah. So it makes sense. Um, there's a lot of smoking in this movie. Um, and one so scene, much. Right, right. And one scene that Dan Aykroyd, uh, he's, I think he's in the hotel, and uh, he's walking around. He's, he runs into Slimer. And he's got that uh, the cigarette, cigarette and it just on his lip. sticks to his lip. You know what I mean? <laughs> and he said, "Look, he's like, it was it was in the script, it was planned. He's like, but no adhesive was used. The cigarette actually stuck to his lip, which is the saliva. <laughs> so uh, that's a great scene. Um, what I also think is funny is uh, you can clearly see a no smoking sign as right, they're going up the elevator. Right. <laughs> um, a lot of the inspiration for uh, the lighting used, um, like from behind the doors and stuff, yeah. uh, the director got from Close Encounters of the Third Kind in 1977, the year I was born. Nice. Um, the eggs that fry themselves are sitting next to a package of Stay Puffed Marshmallows, which I showed you this. Yep. Um, there's also a uh, visible is also visible on the side of a building when the ghosts are freed during the magic montage. There's a big old Stay Puffed uh, thing out there. Uh Dan Aykroyd's original title for this film was going to be Ghost Smashers. Ghost Smashers. <laughs> Who are you going to call the Ghost Smashers? Ghost Smashers. 
A more ferocious version of the Librarian Puppet was going to be used, but it was rejected. Um, a year later, it did appear in Fright Night in 1985. Huh. Uh, <laughs> this is probably one of my favorite scenes of this movie, besides the Stay Puff Marshall moment, because he's just his facial expressions and everything. Yeah. But at the beginning, when <laughs> Bill Murray is sitting there with the, doing that experiment oh, on the yeah. two, oh, the, my God. he's using those uh, Zinner cards and his ESP experiments. Um, Zinner cards have five symbols, um, and it's a, they all appear in this scene. A star, a circle, a square, a cross, and a set of wavy lines. They do not include the figure eight in which <laughs> Jennifer guesses, and he says, how did you know? Can you see through, you know, and stuff right? like that? Yeah, so he's just giving it to her anyway, because you come to find out that Bill Murray is a womanizer, I guess you would say, for yeah. lack of a better term. Um, another great movie quote uh, was, well, there's something you don't see every day. And it was voted as number 19 of the 100 Greatest Movie Lines by Premier in 2007. Hmm. Wow. Dan Aykroyd described Mr. Stay Puff as a cross between the Michelin Man, which is the tire man, and the Pillsbury Doughboy. That makes sense. It, he looks just like him. <laughs> uh, he wanted to create a fictional brand mascot that everyone would have grown up with, you know, recognized even though. Yeah. Um. Darren or Dan Aykroyd, Harold Remus, Remus, and Ivan Reitman spent three weeks in Martha's Vineyard revisiting uh, Aykroyd's original script because I had to rewrite some of it. Yeah. Um, the white ghost and the iconic Ghostbusters logo is called. Do you know what it's called? Do you know who's called? What his name is? I have no idea. Moogly. M o o g l i e. Moogly. 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 I huh. never knew that. I didn't know they gave all the ghosts names. And this is this is a really interesting thing that. Um, sometimes real world events happen and because they happen stuff in the movie is set uh, the location or whatever is set for when they film yeah here's point point in case I'm trying to make when um, Vinkman and Dana are at the Lincoln Center um, and it was the first uh, scene film that they were together Sigourney Weaver and Bill Murray the fountain had to be turned off for some shots so the actors lines could be heard and sometimes they dubbed them in later but here's, here's what I wanted to bring up about history. The U.S. and other flags flying at half-mast and distance background are mourning the American and French soldiers killed October 23rd in 1983 in the barracks bombing in Beirut, Lebanon. President Reagan's nationwide order extended through the 31st. So oh, wow. I'm just saying there's so, a little bit of r- real-world stuff in the background, in, in the background yeah. of a movie. And I just thought, I, I think it would be reminiscent if we didn't say something like that. Um, when interviewing Alice, the librarian, Peter asked her if she is currently ministrating. Oh, yeah. Terrence, Terrence looking at me with this weird face. Uh, the shocked head librarian asked, what does that have to do with anything? And Peter replies, back off, man. I'm a scientist. And in parapsychology, there is some correlation between menstrual cycles and telekinetic powers. From a psychological standpoint, Alice may have been going through menopause, which is in very rare cases can cause psychotic breaks or blackouts. Peter was trying to determine if Alice might have actually caused the disturbance herself, either physically or through uh, psychic powers. Hmm. I thought he was just being. Uh, I know himself. Hey, I, I, don't, I, I don't know, but I think menstruation makes them magicians because I like to disappear. <laughs> uh, don't take that the wrong way. That's, that's just a joke, people. Just a joke. Uh, the crew members uh, gathered a bunch of interesting props that they could be used, and the Bill Murray pick his favorite. He chose the sniffer. <laughs> Remember oh, this? Yeah. And he got it into the film. <laughs> it just looked like a bit hose, you know, with a uh, like a blood pressure thing, you know. Right. Um, the producer. Do you even know how to use that? Uh, yeah, it's 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 technical. <laughs> Te- <laughs> uh, the producers were prepared to produce a different ending if test audience didn't react positively to the stay 
Puff Marshmallow Man. They were going to shoot a whole other ending. And I was like, I wonder what why? else they would have went with. I don't know, man, but I love, I'm glad they kept that in there. Right? I mean, so great. I just thought of the most harmless thing. <laughs> Puff Marshmallow the Man. Four actors, <laughs> right, the four actors playing the Ghostbusters were all at least six foot tall. Uh, Will Atherton was also six foot tall, making Rick Moranis. The odd man out in the principal cast at five feet four inches, which I, we were watching That's it right great. before we started recording. And I said, "Terrence, watch this." And so Gordy, we were they go. He's like, "Are you the gatekeeper or whatever?" And she yeah. said, "What?" He comes in there and she just takes him and gives him the old. She dips him down with the kiss. Like so it's great. usually the other way around. Um, so great. The Harvey Comics creator of Casper the Friendly Ghost sued the producers, claiming the ghost in the logo was too close to the Casper character Fatso. The court ruled against them, stating, hey, there's only so many ways to draw a ghost. So, At a point. <laughs> take note, if anybody's trying to make a movie about a ghost or something, you can only draw them so many ways. Uh, Dan Aykroyd was inspired to write this script for the film after living in a house that was allegedly haunted by the ghost of Cass Elliot. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> in the library, Beekman chides with Ray by calling him Francine. Come here, Francine. Bill Murray was probably poking fun at Dan Aykroyd's real-life friendship with Fran Drescher. Do you know who Fran Drescher is? Terrence. That's how she became the nanny. The nanny. You ever seen the nanny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Good, great people. I know, I know. Um, When you remember in the hotel where at the end where, where, um, not the end of the movie, but at the end where they capture Slimer. Yeah. And they all walk out and uh, Bill Murray's over there writing down the cost and everything. If you, if you watch Egon... He's like put, putting fingers up in the like by his nose, you know, telling him, hey, a thousand, thousand, you know, yeah, four thousand, yeah. and then again for the thousand. Uh, so he's he's actually holding him up to his nose to actually, you know, I thought it was really oh, cool. I thought he was just coming up with numbers. No, he was, uh, if you nope, watch it, a, right. Huh. That would make sense because he's all, you know, the brains behind the operation. And this this um, is one of the most interesting things I found. This is crazy right here. Um, in a 2010 uh, interview, actor William Atherton recalled the a, to the AV club. That the sh- it was shaving cream instead of marshmallow stuff coming down. Okay, so he said the shaving cream that was used for the melted marshmallow was still quite heavy. We had the eighth grade science test. I went under the bag and I asked, how much shaving cream is in there? And they said, not that much. So I said, well, uh, how much does it weigh? It's about 75 pounds. Oh, man. Uh, but it's shaving cream. You know, the whole thing about 75 pounds of feathers and 75 pounds of lead, it's the same thing. So we can figure out that... Uh, uh, so he said, so can we figure out what's going to happen with this? So they put some poor <laughs> stunt guy underneath to show what oh, no. what the sissy actor would think about uh, uh, that would say, okay, nothing's going to happen to me. So they unleashed it and it flattened him. Oh, no. <laughs> so they took him, they took out half of the shaving cream and he said, I went in very happily. I was slimed after that. <laughs> but, but 75 pounds poor just falling. guy. Right. And... Um, Lastly, but not least, uh, when Vakeman is explaining to the Gozer that uh, it will take the form of whatever they think of, he uses J. Edgar Hoover as an example. The fact that he used J. Edgar Hoover as an example would mean that he had to think of him, if only for a second, which means Gozer should have assumed the form of J. Edgar Hoover That's instead exactly of the state what of I was thinking of when he said that. I was like, wait, w- wouldn't it immediately? And also, it's all—it's also that whole like uh, uh, psychological psychological thing where it's like, okay, don't think of a pink elephant, and then what are you thinking of? You're thinking of a pink elephant, right? right. You know, so it's like it's it's interesting. All right, Terrence. Give me your thoughts on the Ghostbusters. Number one, we've already talked about this for a little bit. Would you consider Ghostbusters a good movie? And then, and 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 I say that because we do this podcast and we like to be truthful with people. We do with how we do, and no matter how much it pains us or we like it, 
Um, we, we want to do it justice in if we think it's a good movie or not. Um, and then your personal feelings on top of that, we yeah. know. So let's go ahead and tell the audience what you think. So I'll give it a no. <laughs> as far as a good movie? Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, A, some, some of the uh, special effects in the scenes do work, but there are other special effects that just not age well but i think it, but i but i also um, think that's because that they rushed through some of them and they didn't get a chance to finish them because they were against that deadline so fast and i think that true. might have hurt them a little bit yeah um obviously there's a you know a chunk of the comedy that uh, uh didn't age well um that you know you and me might find funny but you know there it could be a little insensitive uh you know depending on what angle you're coming from uh obviously <laughs> Bill Murray's character, yeah, and his whole attitude, um, which is funny because, like, you know, as as much as I enjoy this movie um, and I still really like it, uh, the the beginning actually had me like a little cringing. You know what I mean? Right. Of just how like swarmy he is, <laughs> like in the very beginning when he's doing that whole test, and then then all, uh, the the scenes afterwards, I was just like, oh man, I didn't realize this at all. Because uh, it's been it's been some time since I watched this movie, um, but I mean it's it's fun. Uh, if you if you feel like you can go back, you know, watch older movies and kind of look past some of these things, uh, it, it's still something to go back, uh, you know, laugh at it a couple scenes and enjoy. Um, and Rick Moranis, I like anything with Rick Moranis in it. He's just an incredible actor. Um, I love everything he's in. Same with Bill Murray, uh, hilarious and. Uh, there's there's just some great moments in the movie. Uh, but as far as a good movie, it's not, but it's more of like, kind of like I've been hitting on, and this will be a continuing theme in most of these movies because, you know, we do old movies, and that's it. Nostalgia carries weight. And, you know, I'm very nostalgic for this movie, and I enjoyed it. There might be someone who would come in now uh, who hasn't seen it, you know, like we have with a couple movies that we've done on the podcast and been like, you know what, I just, I don't like it at all. And I would understand. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's you see something as a child, and pretty much it's the first time something like that's been done, and you're mesmerized, and you're like, "Wow!" You know, you know there's Halloween costumes and all that that you yeah. can dress up as. Even today, you can go to the local Halloween store and find Ghostbusters uh, costumes. It's, it's a big and pop culture right, reference, and too. It's, it's I mean, huge. even more recently, Stranger um, Things they but love I, referencing right, Ghostbusters, right? But I'm saying when we we talk about movies and, and the way me and you talk about movies is. Is it a good movie? Uh, I, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think this is one of the times that we're actually going to agree. Um, no, it's not a very good movie. And and but did I like it? Of course, I liked it. I yeah. mean, it's childhood for me. Um, exactly. But but if you take somebody that's younger now and you show them this, they may not necessarily like it. I don't even think it would pass the screening for a lot of parents for a younger audience to well, watch. Well, let's talk about Bill Murray's character for a minute. First, if you watch him throughout this whole entire movie, we can tell he's a womanizer. First, it's the girl getting tested with that guy. He's lying to her. For every choice she does, because she doesn't get a single one right, I don't believe. Yeah. Then he goes to Dana. Remember, he's, he yep. jumps over the counter and he, he's like, well, uh, I'll go swing by your apartment or whatever. So he yep. goes to his apartment, you know, he makes a little subtle jokes about She's like, oh, there's that's the bedroom. Nothing happens in there. And he's like, well, that's a shame. You know, and it's just yeah. little subtle jokes like that. Uh, there's the scene where he actually does drug her with that Thorazine or whatever yep. it is, which he and technically he's not even a doctor. He's a you know a scientist, so he wouldn't even have the prescriptions for that. And that being uh, that kind of character's hands, from what you have seen, I just don't think that's a good look 
for yeah him. definitely uh also when he's he walking bad. right <laughs> and also when he's walking into the uh hotel you know he's just always looking at the women as they're walking by and stuff yeah. like that so you can tell the character of bill murray i love bill murray as a character um, oh yeah as, as, as an actor he, he's played right. some phenomenal roles uh, i mean this, but this this, this was a little cringy uh and yeah. i don't want to say cringy i liked it. he had some funny one-liners he gets slimed and all that you know what i mean it's just for me, it man. I, uh, I think cringy is the right word though, because in those scenes when he is turning that dial up to eleven, you're like, oof. <laughs> yeah, like, mm, I wonder if this was in the original script or if this is ad libbed. You know what yeah. I mean? Um, I, but and then again, I wonder if they actually gave him, hey, this is your character. This is what he. I wonder if they let him have, uh, or if they even had let their uh, the actors have free range on how they created their characters based upon yeah. what was in the script. You know like, what I mean? Hey, um, the type of character some of them is. might this have been written, written in the script like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? But when we find out that most of it was ad-libbed and Bill Murray ad-libbed half of his lines anyway, or more than half yeah. of his lines anyway, then for me, mm, I don't know. Um, I love Egon. Um, oh, yeah. And then especially now... He's actually one of my favorites. Right, and especially now knowing what he went through uh, with his disease. Um, hats off to him. I liked Ernie Hudson. Um, I, I think that he was great. Um, he did say, you know, that um, I was reading in some of the notes or something, you know, that he he, he wished that he would have been in it more um, because yeah. why? But and to my so my feeling, I agree with him. He's like, you know, he loves and he hates the movie, but for that reason, yeah. And my question is, just because um, Eddie Murphy didn't take the part, why did you have to go back and rewrite the script? Just because Eddie Murphy didn't. Now maybe yeah. it was because Eddie Murphy had more star power at the time. That would possibly. probably be the case. Yeah, um, but still. Um, I don't think it was right. I think he, I would like to see that original script and see where it, how much where it went. time he would have had. Right. Um, I, I felt that too. I felt his part was was pretty small compared. Uh, even though he's you know one of the main Ghostbusters, um, he doesn't show up until the latter half of the film. Uh, and then when he is in the latter half, you actually don't see him do any Ghostbusting. You just kind of see the aftermath when they're doing the m- montage and stuff like that. And uh, you have to. You just get these anecdotal sort of references of him, like, "Oh, yeah, that was crazy that we did that," but you never actually see a lot. Well, of there things. was there's probably some deleted scenes too because there was something about where his dad was like the architect or something of one of the buildings or something, and they they do a ghost like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's. Mm. I would have liked to have seen more an in depth character uh, on him, and you know, it, it it kind of feels unfortunate, especially you know, uh, being the sole african-american actor in this film you know what i mean right so it kind of feels a little shorthanded um rick moranis and sigourney reaver outstanding oh yes the way rick moranis goes around that one scene where he's at the party and he just starts going on and he just starts i mean you know he just goes and he ad-libbed that entire scene and just went through that entire i mean list of th- things you know what i mean oh yeah and he's like well we'll start dancing maybe everybody will start dancing with us you know they just, <laughs> they they just start dancing. somebody else comes oh, hold on, on the, door. Get the door right um <laughs> great um so yeah, is it a good? Is it a great movie? No. Is it a good movie? No. Uh, do I like it? Yes. Will I watch it again? Of course. Yeah. Um, just for the nostalgia factor, and I know a lot of people like this movie, um, and I can't blame them that they like it. But I think it's usually because it's tied to something in their childhood that makes them go back to that time in life, exactly. Not what's happening today. And not to mention, there's there's actually a lot of um, of scenes and and certain little nuances of the movie that uh, I just I don't remember. And so that kind of goes to that nostalgia and even pop culture, just like, you know, you, you remember liking it and you see all this stuff that's constantly resurfacing on it. And like, you know, the, what the photon packs look like, the, the costumes, uh, um, you know, their car and everything. Um, 
And then when you watch it, sometimes, you know, you see scenes and you're like, wow, I didn't I didn't remember this. For example, prime example, like I remember the library scene. Uh, very, you know, very good start to the movie. Um, but I didn't remember the whole swarminess of, you know, Bill Murray's character. Mm-hmm. Didn't remember that at all. So it was just like, uh, you know, rewatching it kind of brought those things to light. I'm like, maybe it didn't age as well as I thought it <laughs> well, would. Well, but you know, <laughs> I love it. Like at the, like I said, that opening scene where he's he's electrocuting the kid for guessing wrong. And there's that one. His gum falls out. You know, he picks yeah, it back yeah, up and, and he puts, puts it, it back in. Right. So yeah, I would say uh, if you haven't seen it, I'd watch it at least once, and then you can make your own decisions from there. Um, but it had a lot of great actors in it, uh, a lot of great actresses, uh, a lot of good cameos. Um, See, guys, we tear apart movies we like too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not just it's not just Die Hard. That's not a Christmas movie. <laughs> it's, a, it's a lot of you know. It's but we try to do it justice, and 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 we understand that some movies some people are going to like forever, and some people aren't going to like them. This is one that I don't think is a good movie, but I like it. Exactly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So I guess uh, this episode's coming to a close because we do have another episode to record here in a few minutes. Um, but if you would like to reach out to the us, we are on the Tragedy of Cinema uh, podcast uh, group on Facebook. Yep. Uh, you can also reach us at thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com. Um, don't forget the drawing for the, um, what I say, coffee mug will be Saturday uh, about 8 o'clock, which is Halloween night. And I'll post the winner on Facebook. Um so other than that, I think um, the next time we record after this one, uh, me and Terrence were here and we were like, well, it's going to be basically our 50th episode. I guess I'll count Night of the Living Dead as an episode, even though it's our Halloween special. Yeah. But we wanted to do something different. So I said, Terrence, I was like, you know, you love Star Wars. I love Star Wars. And I said, yeah, but we love Lord of the Rings and you love Lord of the Rings. You know what I mean? So I said, we're going to flip a coin. And whoever it lands on, you know, we're going to do. So we flipped the coin, and Lord of the Rings beat out Star Wars. Yep. Uh, so for their, this 50th montage episode or whatever, we will be doing the Fellowship of the Ring. And it'll probably be a two-parter. Oh, it's going to be very long. Least. It's um, going to be long. You know it's one of my favorite series. Is, I have I have oh, Gollum yeah. here, Gollum behind me. <laughs> uh, I've got the card games. i got the, the board games. I've got Risk. I've got goblets. I've got, yeah, I've got the Burger uh, Gandalf and Arwen over there right now. Um, it's actually... Um, Honestly, I will say that Lord of the Rings has probably taken over my love of movies over Star Wars. It really has. And I think because you can go back and you can watch the original Star Wars, and I love Star Wars to pieces, but when you watch Lord of the Rings, and it's so, it's beautiful. Absolutely. It ages great. Um, It really does. So that's what we'll be doing next, the Fellowship of the Rings. So I'm telling you this early because it's a long movie. Um, and yeah. and you will, we're going to do the extended versions, mm-hmm. um, which is even longer. So you're looking at probably a, a close to three, three and a half hour movie. And um, we're, we're spreading these movies out, uh, obviously, just because of the not only the length of the movies, but you know the length that it will run our podcast. Uh, we're you know we're just covering the first movie, right? Uh, Fellowship. Of the so Brain. there's a lot of stuff we could talk about the entire trilogy, which. Maybe after we're done doing all three movies, we'll have a trilogy sit down, yeah. bring some special guests in if they want to be on and discuss the whole thing. I know I've got one friend, uh, Chris Thompson, said he would like to come in uh, and talk some nerd stuff with us. So yeah. I was like, hey, no problem. We just got to get our schedules because we are technically totally opposite schedules right now. Yeah. So. And he's a big fan of the Twilight Zone, too. So, Well, I think uh, I think this episode's coming to a close. You got any extra things to put here on the end, Terrence? That's it. All right. Well, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And, and cut. cut.